At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare dealing with pests can be a pain but relax terminix can help because when pests show up so does terminix With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Republican Party, a wholly owned subsidiary of Vladimir Putin and the government of Russia, faced, to paraphrase Winston Churchill, the bleak choice between war and shame. It has chosen shame, and it will get war thrown in a little later. This is simply true. The United States is not helping Ukraine. Ukraine is helping the United States. Ukraine is fighting our war at the cost of its lives, at the cost of its territory, at the cost of the existence through which its people must suffer daily to protect us from Russia. And the Republicans are sending Volodymyr Zelensky home to, in all probability, watch his nation and his people die because the Republicans are no longer connected in any way to reality. All issues are political machinations and nothing else. All crises are opportunities to get on Fox News and nothing else. All good causes are to be held hostage so that fascism in America can take away a little bit more freedom and even a little bit more morality from the nation the Republican Party has repeatedly raped. Is Ukraine acting in its own defense? Obviously. And it is, to once again repurpose the infamous George W. Bush phrase, fighting them over there so we don't have to fight them over here as well. They are the Russians, and their fascist madman's dreams are as non-secret as ours are. He wants to establish a country the size and the composition of the former Soviet Union, That would be all of Ukraine, Estonia, Georgia, Belarus, Latvia, half a dozen more. And that's controlled by proxy of what is now Chechia and Slovakia, 
Romania, Hungary, Bulgaria, Albania, Poland, and half of Germany. Half of Germany. Putin's response to what the Republicans handed him? The Russians have already carpet-bombed Kiev this morning. And the Republican Party held the door open for the fighter jets. Just as it tried to hold the door open for Adolf Hitler and the Blitzkrieg to subsume Europe 85 years ago. It will let Putin in and blame the Democrats about the Mexican border because the Republicans and the Republicans alone see a connection between a foreign dictator trying to absorb our allies and restart the full-scale Cold War. Some connection between that and immigration, which the Republicans do not actually want to solve anyway because the point of the, quote, border crisis is to make sure that there is always a border crisis so the Republicans can scare their voters with it. And yet, when Joe Biden says, fine, whatever you children want, we can couple these utterly unrelated issues. Let's resolve everything. The Republicans' response to that was, no, and we're going on vacation. And Mike Johnson says he will need to see a detailed play script on exactly how President Zelensky is going to win. And you think, man. Would I pay good money to see Mike Johnson at the Ukrainian front and get to watch him break all known land speed records while running away the weaselly little coward that he is? David Frum and I don't have a lot of use for each other, but David Frum has nailed it. On December 6, he writes in The Atlantic, Chuck Schumer issued the following invitation to the Republicans. Write an amendment detailing everything you want, and the Democratic Senate majority will let you bring it to the floor for a clean vote. That offer was rejected by Senate Republicans. How do you get to yes when the other side refuses to state its terms? From went further still. A lot of House Republicans do not much care about enacting laws and solving problems. Aaron Sorkin and I also don't have a lot of use for each other, but he also nailed it years ago in his script for the Michael Douglas movie, The American President. I'm swapping in real-life names here for the obstructionist conservative that Sorkin dreamed up, quoting, Whatever your particular problem is, I promise you Mike Johnson and Mitch McConnell and Dementia J. Trump are not the least bit interested in solving it. They are interested in two things and two things only, making you afraid of it and telling you who's to blame for it. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how you win elections. So the Republicans, and if you want a tonally different cultural analogy, anybody know their Doctor Who? The Republican Daleks send Zelensky, who has been doing our work for us, back to Ukraine because Biden and Schumer and the Democrats will compromise on the imaginary border crisis and will give the Republicans what they claim to want. It's a Republican win-win, and they say no. Because the Republicans are not here to govern, nor even to rule. They are here to destroy. All is over, Winston Churchill also said in 1938 about Czechoslovakia, uh, part of the place that Putin wants back. Churchill said this in 1938 about Czechoslovakia, and I will again update his quote. Silent, mournful, abandoned, broken, Ukraine recedes into the darkness, 
She has suffered in every respect by her association with the Republican Party. I venture to think that in future the Ukrainian state cannot be maintained as an independent entity. I think you will find that at a period of time which may be measured by years, but may be measured only by months, Ukraine will be engulfed in the Putin regime. If so, the Republicans will then caucus and confer and wring their hands and pretend to pray and hope they can find the answer to the question, who do we get to blame this time? Now, there are people who know who to credit here. The president spelled it out yesterday. I would like it if he swore more, but otherwise this gets to the point. The host of a Kremlin-run show literally said, and I quote, well done, Republicans. That's good for us. End of quote. Let me say that again. This host of a Kremlin-run show said, well done, Republicans. That's good for us. That's a Russian speaking. If you're being celebrated by Russian propagandists, it might be time to rethink what you're doing. On his own authority, the president was able to give Zelensky what the White House describes as up to $200 million in military aid and support. God knows when the next dollar will be or where it will come from. It still confounds me that the Republicans are actually opposing A, guns, and B, military spending, which ultimately winds up in the pockets of America's war industry. Hell, Bush and Dick Cheney connived an entire decade-long war in Iraq to do that. Here's Biden doing it for them, and the Republicans are stopping him, even just from their own viewpoint. The Republicans are idiots. And there is, of course, a further irony here. Whatever the Republicans really want at the border in exchange for Ukraine aid and at the border, bluntly, what they want is to expel all non-European white immigrants who are here, legal or otherwise, and then build some sort of wall behind them. Miles and miles of wall. At least three or four miles. But with a thousand live stream cameras focused on it so they and Trump can pretend they are fulfilling their promises to their masochistic, slavish, subhuman cult. So they can constantly televise and broadcast the suffering and the despair of the people Trump happens to hate. That true goal, that wall, will be blown over in the coming wind and possibly literally. If the Republicans really did want to control immigration, first, the Democrats have already offered them a deal they don't deserve, to say nothing of a deal that the immigrants certainly don't deserve in negative terms. But secondly, and longer term, if the Republicans really did want to control immigration, they and not liberals would be leading the fight against climate change. Because if the Trumpists think this, quote, migrant surge, unquote, which brings our country people who are provably statistically harder working, less violent, more respectful of the law than every native born conservative, if they think this is a problem, wait until the climate refugees begin coming to our border. And as it gets hotter and hotter in more and more of the world in which human beings just will not be able to survive any longer, where do the Republicans think those people will go? Do they expect those people will stay near the equator to be slowly roasted alive because they don't have the right passport? Or do they expect that they will come here just to try to survive? And this does not even begin to address the reality that as resources dry up, 
and chaos increases in Latin America, in South America, and elsewhere, those with political power there will survive, and those without political power there will not survive. And guess what? Those without it will be fleeing those countries indirectly because of climate change, and they may already be doing so now. So good luck with your wall, boys. Let's see what good it does you when it isn't two and a half million people a year, but two and a half million people a week. If the Ukraine topic did not make it clear how unserious the Republicans are, the impeachment of Joe Biden for something, we'll figure out, we'll figure out something. Uh, right now, uh, it says here we've proven he is illegally the illegal father of the illegal Hunter Biden, which is illegal. This continues with the kind of precision and rectitude reserved for such cataclysms of government. Speaker Johnson tweeted yesterday that the impeachment inquiry vote would be within hours. Then he deleted that and replaced it with another tweet that said the impeachment inquiry vote would be... No time frame at all, just that it it will happen. Mike Johnson is an ass clown. And he may be the sharpest of the lot. This is Democratic Congressman Joe Naguse of Colorado trying to get a simple answer out of an appropriately simple man, Chief Republican Deputy Whip Guy Reschenthaler. The question, Guy, is what is the crime you want to investigate and impeach Joe Biden for. What is the specific constitutional crime that you're investigating? Well, we're having an inquiry, so we can do an investigation. It can okay. the production of witnesses. And, and what is and, the crime and, you're investigating? And documents. High crimes, misdemeanors, and bribery. What high crime and misdemeanor are you investigating? Look, I, I will, once I get time, I will explain what we're looking at, and I will make the equivalency no, I'm just of asking you the for last the, impeachment. Of course, Reschenthaler can't give a straight answer. To say, we're doing this to please Trump so he can say Biden was also impeached, that makes you look like an idiot even to a Trump voter. And if that's what they want, an idiot, in Guy Reschenthaler, the Republicans have found the right man. The quote I read from the American president earlier gets more and more valid, consumes more and more of the Republican Party every day. There is no longer any policy advocacy, no longer any governance, no longer any bare minimum of reality, not even reality-based slander. Yesterday, Rudy Giuliani finished his second day of insisting he's not guilty of defaming Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss and will prove everything he said is true, while his attorney continued to try to prove to the court that, yes, while Rudy is guilty of defaming Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, he shouldn't have to pay for the damage to their lives. One would think being a living, breathing self-contradiction would cause Rudy's head to split open and all the Pez candies inside to fall out. But no, he could go out there after the trial day ended yesterday, and seriously play his last and no doubt decisive card. The answer of all answers. Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss are conspiring with Hunter Biden. It can't be ignored that the chief lawyer represented Burisma and is close to Hunter Biden. Gottlieb represented the crooked uh, company Burisma, which uh, is alleged to have paid $5 million to Hunter Biden. 
Having deployed his secret Hunter Biden death ray and gotten not acquittal but only laughter, there really isn't left anything for Rudy to even make up. Well, one thing, there is one more magic word Rudy could still throw out there in his self-defense. It was used yesterday on the floor of the House by Congressman Andy Harris of Maryland, a Navy veteran who knows military crises firsthand. Ukraine, the nightmare in the Gaza Strip in Israel, Burkina Faso, Niger, everything else in the world today. And, of course, the real threat to the American fighting man and woman, the threat that Giuliani will no doubt refer to later today. One of the greatest threats to our security, national security, is a woke military. And nothing exemplifies a woke military as much as the... National Defense Authorization Act that's going to come before this body at a conference report that allows transgender surgery to continue to be funded in the U.S. military. Now, I can guarantee you that Russia and China aren't using their military dollars to pay for transgender surgery, but here in the United States, we are, we will. And if this House and the Senate pass the conference report, that will be the official U.S. policy. Madam Speaker, that's not defense of the nation. That's a woke military that endangers our nation's security. Andy's an anesthesiologist. Andy is also the son of an anesthesiologist. Andy was also a Navy anesthesiologist. So Andy is an anesthesiologist veteran. And as you just heard, I'll take odds of six to five that anesthesiologist Andy is high on his own supply. The military in China and Russia, Andy, they're slaves. Ours, Andy, is an all-volunteer military. U.S. Army, Navy, Air Force, Space Force, all of them. They have to offer medical deals that are at least as good as the one Amazon offers. Nitwit. Lastly, if you have, in the middle of the night, woke... No, there's that word again. If you have awakened in the middle of the night, wringing your hands, wondering how in the hell any percentage of this country can still support the Republicans with not just a fascist agenda, but a fascist agenda made out of cardboard and string and slogans and no substance of any kind, not even bad ideas put into practice. A. Yeah, me too. B. Remember that at least a third of them are masochists who want an authoritarian leader to tell them how they are required to live their lives, but see the assumption that the current electoral mood that is assumed to tilt towards Trump and the end of democracy, the assumption that that will still be like this 10 months from now is just that, an assumption on top of an assumption. One month ago, American media, including the so-called liberal media, stopped all talking and in fact stopped all breathing because the New York Times polls had Trump beating Biden and beating him badly in the swing states of Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, and Pennsylvania, and the smallest margin in any one of the states was four points. Odd, then, wasn't it, that the Times and CNN and the Washington Post and the rest of the media political industrial complex devoted almost no time yesterday, and will surely devote no time today, to the Ipsos poll for Reuters that showed that in seven swing states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina, and Wisconsin, the margin right now is Biden by four points. Biden by four points. And oh, by the way, Reuters and Ipsos also found that just a little of Trump's support hinges on him not being convicted in D.C. or in Florida 
or in Georgia or in New York City or in New York State slash Stormy Daniels or in New York State slash business fraud. 31 percent of Republicans, according to the Ipsos poll, say that if he is convicted of a felony crime by jury, they will not vote for him. And if 31 percent of Republicans do not vote for Trump, Biden is going to win by 250 electoral votes. Funny they didn't cover those polls yesterday. Maybe next time Reuters should include the important issues to get fuller coverage. You know, the important issues. Woke and Hunter Biden. Christ. Also of interest here, they are cutting up the suit Trump wore to his mugshot and selling it for $4,653 per piece. So, when they cut it up, was he still in it? That's next. This is Countdown. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you run for office or take on the country's biggest problems, but they can help you solve one of the peskiest problems at home, pests. You know, the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, even the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know intricate political strategy, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it, Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. This is Countdown with Keith Oberman. This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, Dateline Verdon, Manitoba, Canada. Move over, Al Michaels, because if you really do believe in miracles, the greatest miraculous call in the history of hockey play-by-play has been recorded. 
as the Verdon Oil Capitals of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League beat the Steinbach Pistons 2-1 on an overtime goal by Rue Bazin. And I'm not really sure that any of those details are included in this epic bit of sports play-by-play broadcasting history, but so what? Joey Bielikazity turns back. Looks like they're doing a little reverse that you might see in football. And here comes Bazin. He's got some speed. He's with the D. Oh, oh, what are you going to do? He's shooting a room, Daddy. Oh, look at that. Look at this. Look at that. Look at that. Look at this. Look at that. An apparent callback to an episode of the animated TV series Bob's Burgers. But who knows for sure. And who knows is the theme of this because while the call has gotten widespread viral play, even when the Verdon team tweeted it out, they did not mention the name of the announcer. Now, their team website claims they have two play-by-play men, a Dave Chalner and a Doug Roach. There is a post-game interview by Mr. Chalner bouncing around on the internet, and the guy doing it doesn't sound anything like this clip, so one assumes this is Dave Roach, the greatest play-by-play man in world history. Looks like they're doing a little reverse that you might see in football, and here comes Bazin. He's got some speed scratch with the D. Oh, Oh, what are you going to do? He's shooting a room, Daddy! Oh, look at that! Look at this, look at that! You know who that is? That's that's Carl Spackler from Caddyshack. It's in the hole, it's in the hole. Look at this, look at that. It's in the hole. Dateline Kansas City, Mr. Roach, or in case I'm wrong, Mr. Chalner, may want to apply for Tony Romo's job on CBS TV football coverage. His first two years in broadcasting, Romo was fresh, informed, exciting, droll. And then something bad happened. He is now possibly the worst color analyst in sports. And we're not just talking about the strategic subtleties of the game, which he used to be able to predict 15 or 20 minutes in advance. Romo was asked to talk over the easiest image from all of sports for the year 2023, a shot of Taylor Swift in a luxury box watching her boyfriend, Travis Kelsey of the Kansas City Chiefs. And first he froze and then he got it wrong. As you see, then there were three seconds of agonizing silence. And then, quoting Tony Romo, Kelsey's wife, Taylor Swift in the audience. Now, I'm serious about this last point. I'm actually worried about Tony Romo's health because besides marrying Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift without their knowledge, when was the last time anybody with their full wits referred to the crowd at a football game anywhere as, quote, the audience? Still to come on Countdown, you ever climbed a rock? I mean, a real, like, 20-foot-tall rock? You ever climbed a rock in a business suit? Have you ever climbed a rock in a business suit and in brand-new dress shoes that have been polished to an amazing gloss by continual exposure to sand and rain? I have, and I have lived to tell you about it. But not after first I fell about 20 feet off that rock. Things I promised not to tell next. First time for the Daily Roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world, and that day I would have been on this list. The Bronze, COP28, the Climate Change Conference. 
Now, who could have seen this coming? Just because the president of COP28 was an oil baron, literally a sultan from the United Arab Emirates, COP28 has closed in disaster. With an unresolved nightmare as of recording time, the draft version of the collective final statement from the world's attempt to stop planetary disaster from climate change said nothing about phasing out fossil fuel use. In fact, it demanded that American gas stations resume giving out free commemorative presidential coins with every 10-gallon purchase. No, I made that last part up. Sadly, I did not make up that first part. Worser, MSNBC. The New York Post reports that viewers of the Morning Joe program had a most unexpected experience day before yesterday when the start of the show was delayed by 12 minutes when co-host Mika Trump-enabler Brzezinski came on and thanked everyone for bearing with them. After 12 minutes, apparently for the first 12 minutes, there was a series of promos, unexpected reruns of Lawrence O'Donnell's show from the night before, or was it from the year 2013? No one could really tell. And a still shot of the Capitol with teenaged wasteland from the Who playing in the background. So none of it made any sense and nobody knew what was going on. I thought they said this edition of Morning Joe was different than every other edition. But the winner, the worst, Trump. Now nah, this is something different. Without expanding the con, you're not truly a con man anymore, and he is truly a con man. Before, it was trading cards, showing him buff and on a horse and as a hero, as a cartoon character, you know, accurately. Now, he has expanded into another staple of the sports card industry, the game-used relic card. Trump is selling a special card with his Atlanta mugshot photo and attached to it a certified, authenticated swatch from the suit he wore that day. It's a prison-used suit card. Now, at first blush, it seems as if it costs $99, which I will admit, given that my 2008 Topps game-worn tie baseball card can be had for $12 on eBay, $99 isn't bad. Like it or not, he's a president. You'd pay $99 for a James Buchanan game-worn cravat card, wouldn't you? But on closer inspection, there's a con within the con. Turns out to get one of the actual swatches from the suit he was wearing while he was arrested, you have to buy... 47 of the cards at $99 each. That means your cost is just $4,653 per card. For the punchline here, I'd like to quote David Frum for the second time in this episode about the swatch card. Frum writes, quote, The good news for Trump finances is that when you wear an XXXXXL, there's a lot of fabric to sell. Dementia J. They did fumigate that suit first, right? Trump, two days! Iced, poison, and the world! At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... 
in that moment, oh my god, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you run for office or take on the country's biggest problems, but they can help you solve one of the peskiest problems at home, pests. You know, the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, even the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know intricate political strategy, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it, Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. To the number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me and things I promised not to tell. And it was this time of year in 1996 when my agent called me at ESPN. There's an ad agency in Santa Monica. They just called me. Would you like to do two commercials for Boston Market? I answered with profound indifference. Okay. Would you like to do two commercials for Boston Market for $250,000? I believe my next words were, well, I can't do them today, but sure. They faxed me the scripts. They're actually pretty funny. Very well done. I think you'll like them. I believe my next next words were, if I don't have to kill anybody in them, call them back and say yes and get the money. Since the idea was these ads would run on sports telecasts, most of them on ESPN, my yes got back to management at ESPN pretty quickly. You can't do these, one of the executives explained dismissively. We don't let anybody do commercials. I laughed. Every one of us has done the, uh, the This Is Sports Center commercials. Some of us have written the This Is Sports Center commercials. You don't even give us days off for making them, let alone give us money. This is money I don't have to ask you for. The executive shook his head. Those aren't commercials. Those are promotional announcements. They're in your contract. Nobody here does commercials. I said, Chris Berman has done a beer commercial in three out of the last five Super Bowls. My commercial is just for food. Well, he's Berman. I pointed out I went to high school with him. And I was the star of their most popular program, a little thing called Sports Center. TV Guide had just named us one of the top ten shows on TV. Shows, not sports shows. Us and Seinfeld. Sorry. Well, now I got a little angry, which never happened to me at ESPN. And I went to my ace in the hole. Uh, my contract expires in like ten months, and you know I intend to leave. And during those 10 months, you're going to pay me about $260,000. So Boston Market is going to pay me $250,000 for two days' work instead of 10 months' work. Plus, they're going to take me out first class to L.A. for a couple of days. And they're probably going to do some radio spots, and I'll make another twenty five grand. So you're giving me a choice? Make, say, $275,000? in like five days for them or make $260,000 here, 
between now and next September when I'm planning on leaving anyway? If you make me choose between those two, which do you expect me to choose? The executive coughed. We'll get back to you. An hour later, he got back to me by phone. Okay, we see your point, but there are still two problems. We can't just let everybody do commercials. I said, well, you know, why don't you just let anybody who went to the high school that Berman and I went to do commercials? He did not laugh at that. Well, how about only your regular weekday sports center anchors get to do commercials? There was a grunt and a maybe. Then we got to the gist of the real problem. Here's the real problem. People on your show, they'll be resentful. And I said, why will they be resentful? Because the production assistants are expecting that they're going to get their own commercials too? And I said, how about this? The day I'm out there actually shooting the commercial, I will get Boston Market to like cater dinner for the show staff, even if I have to pay for it myself. There was a long silence. Would management be included in that? And can we get all the side dishes too? I swear to God. So off I flew at the beginning of December during a winter that had gone frigid in October in Bristol, Connecticut. The next thing I knew, I was on the beach in Malibu at Leo Carrillo State Park. The crew is complaining because it is raining lightly and only about 55 degrees to me, fresh from the hinterlands. And having not been back to L.A. since I had moved out in 1992, it's like I'm in Tahiti. And my agent was right. The scripts were funny and original. They were a send-up of the old Calvin Klein obsession perfume commercials. They're two extremely thin models, and they are filmed writhing in frustration on the beach, on the big rock outcroppings at Leo Carrillo State Park. She is supposed to say, emptiness. How can I fill this empty void of emptiness? They are in black and white, but I emerge from behind a rock or wherever. I'm in color. They are in black and white. And I say, when they say they don't know what to do about this emptiness, I say, eat something. I then sell the sandwich. Then it cuts to a shot of me walking them down the beach with my arm over each of their shoulders, telling them eating is a good thing. And who's wearing cologne or who likes sports or other stupid things like that for a quarter of a million dollars. Well, we start this at 8 a.m., and the producer and the director, John, say to me and the two models and the crew, look, this rain is just going to get heavier as the day goes on. So what we want to do is not take a break for lunch. We'll just shoot until, like, 2 p.m., and then you can have lunch or you can take your lunch with you, and you'll all get paid for a full day. And everybody agrees. The actress agrees, and she swears as she agrees. The actress is named Una, Una is from Chicago, and it will soon prove Una swears more than a longshoreman. This blanking cold can blank my blanking blank. To be fair, Una and the guy are dressed in Calvin Klein rags, and they are there, and they are from there, and they are freezing, while I am wearing a production company brand new suit and shoes, and to me it feels like it's Tahiti. We take a couple of hours where we do all the shots where I emerge from behind the rocks or go around the rocks or over the rocks or I look over the rocks. And the director finally says, okay, we got five good options. Let's set up for the walk down the beach with your arms around each other's shoulders. By now, it's noon or 1230. And as they move the cameras and the rain starts to move from a mist to like a light rain, two prop guys bring out rakes. 
And I'm sitting with the crew and I've been asking them questions all morning in between takes about how this is all being arranged and made and lit. And I say, rakes, what do you need rakes for in a commercial? And they say, you'll see. And then each time me and Una and the guy walk down the beach and the director says, cut, we go back to the starting point. Now out come two stagehands with rakes and they rake the sand on the beach smooth. And I say, oh, footprints. So each time I walk down this damp beach with the rain just a little harder than it was the take before in my brand new dress shoes, what I'm basically doing is polishing the soles of these brand new shoes on damp sand. I mean, by the time the director John says we are done, these soles of these shoes are so shiny, I could go ice skating in these shoes. And John comes over and he says, listen, we got another half an hour. Can we go back and try a new way for you to appear on the rocks? I mean, can you can you climb rocks at all? And I say, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm surprisingly good at it. You wouldn't think so, but I can climb rocks. And he points to one rock outcropping on the beach. Maybe it's 18, 20 feet high. And he says, try to climb up that and go as high as you can. If there's nothing that'll support you, we'll forget it. And I try, and sure enough, I get up near the top, and there is a perfect little shelf in the rock that I can comfortably stand on. And the director points the camera up, and he says, oh, damn, the angle's too tough. I can't swing the camera down fast enough for when you say eat something so I can refocus on the models. It won't work. Is there anything lower on the rock where you could stand? Can you come down at all? And I said, I think so. I think I can come down a little bit. Well, little did I know. Sure enough, maybe nine, ten feet from the beach, up in the sky, there is another little foothold on this rock outcropping. It is not big enough for me to put both my feet on it, but I say, if you don't mind me holding on to the rock as I say eat something, I can do it from here. And the director says, okay, let's try it. And I climb down the rock, and he's moving the camera, and I put my left foot on this flat part, which is nine or ten feet up from the beach, and for a couple of seconds, everything is fine. I'm good. And that's when I feel that my left shoe, my brand new left shoe, straight from the Floorsheim catalog, bright and shiny, and now having been polished by four hours of walking up and down on a wet beach, complete with two guys there to rake the beach and make sure it is as shiny as it possibly can be, my left shoe, slipperier than a diamond, is now moving of its own accord. I'm holding. I'm doing a good rock climbing job, but the shoe, the shoe is not holding. Hey, I say with some alarm, I'm about to fall off. I hit the sand no more than five seconds later. So that's about a 16 foot drop from my head to the beach. And for weeks, for years, still to this day, it has amazed me more than anything else that happened. It has amazed me how much went through my mind before I crashed. In fact, before I actually fell. I know I did a quick height calculation. Yeah, 15, 16 feet. I recognized that the outcropping was so vertical that I was unlikely to hit any of the rock on the way down. But just the same, I remembered that the rocks continued under the sand, see? I took two years of geology. And this was going to be a hard landing, more amazingly than all that, though, I had taken judo as a kid. I hated every minute of judo. 
1965, 1966. So 26 and 27 years before we shot this commercial. I was in the studio, the judo studio in White Plains, New York, the day of the 1965 Northeast blackout. And the only happy memory of the entire judo experience I had was when our instructor, Bob DeRocher, locked us in the dojo that had been converted from a store that had a front door that was set in several feet from the street so they could put display cases up. And now it's pitch black, so he went out and got his Volkswagen Carmen Ghia, drove it up over the sidewalk into that set-in entryway of this converted storefront. He put his high beams on. He flooded the dojo with enough light that we kids could change out of our judo stuff and back into our regular clothes and wait for our parents to come get us. He did a great job. I didn't like the judo so much, but his blackout operations practice was superb. So now, with all of this having gone through my head in a second, I began to fall, and everything else from that year of once-a-week judo classes comes back to me. Relax as you drop. The more of your body that hits, the less you'll get hurt. Hands protect the head. Drop like a sack of sand. I did not hit the sand, per se. I kind of splattered on my left side. As I rolled over onto my back and took a breath and sat up, of all people, Una was the first to race over to me. You want some blank and tea? I said, uh, no, no thanks. Let me, let me see if I'm dead. The grips tried to help me to my feet, but I felt some very sharp pain that which suggested we should slow down. The problem was, though, even if I needed an ambulance, there was no way to get one down to where we were shooting. As that rock outcropping that I had just fallen from suggested, I like to call it a cliff every now and again, Leo Carrillo State Park had a real cliff in it and a flight of stairs. I mean, 100 steps, 200 steps up to Pacific Coast Highway and a park. Sure enough, I was able to stand, but I couldn't move easily. Everything hurt. So the two biggest members of the crew let me drape my arms over their shoulders exactly the way I had draped my arms over their shoulders of the models during the beach shot. I stopped for a second. Hey, Ona, you sure you don't want to Franken-carry me up the stairs? She said with genuine sincerity, Now that's blank and funny. Seemed to me like it took about a month to get up those stairs. I assumed there would be an ambulance waiting by this point. Instead, there was a park ranger. This is a state park. I have to see you first. Then I have to call the fire department. I said, well, this pain on my side here, this feels like fire, but I don't think it's actually fire. He called the fire department. They showed up. They assessed me. They called the ambulance. At some point, probably when I was being half dragged up the steps, something happened on the impact side. If I now tried to lower my left arm from way above my head, I got severe shooting, burning pain from my left armpit to about my left knee. Cleverly... I figured out not to do that. Keep your left arm above your head, and it won't hurt. I used the restroom in the ranger station. There was no blood, so no kidney damage. I'm okay. It does, however, hurt, and something could be broken. Now I go back outside, my arm above my head, like I'm signaling for a cab on the streets of New York City, 
and the ambulance shows up and the EMTs tell me to get on their gurney. And I said, I I can't. I can't lower my arm unless I want excruciating pain. I can't move my arm. I have to stay in this position looking like, like a flamenco dancer. But I said, listen, can you lock the wheels on this gurney? And they said, sure we can. Of course we can. And I said, just lock the wheels and I'll just back up onto the end of it and I'll fall backwards. And it worked. And so with my left arm still extended over my head, they loaded me into the ambulance. Apparently when I fell from that rock or cliff, as I call it, it looked like I had been shot. 50, 60 people on a commercial crew. The shooting day is over. They have missed lunch. There is a very nice catered lunch sitting there. And they told me later that everybody was so disturbed by what happened to me that only three people even took something to go. And no, the director was not filming as I fell, sadly. So we hit every pothole on Pacific Coast Highway on the trip from the beach to the hospital. Oh, ah, oh. I called my agent from my cell phone. She laughed. I called ESPN, actually to check on the catered dinner. Oh, what's new? Oh, I fell off a cliff shooting the commercial. They laughed. And I'm lying there in the emergency room waiting for x-rays when my cell phone rings again. And I reach into my left pocket, and I had the phone halfway to my ear when I realized my left side does not hurt anymore. At all. It does not hurt at all. Well, that was a quick recovery. I sat up. My left side felt fine. In fact, it felt great. And a nurse came over and suggested I should lie back down again. I said, why? Somehow I got better on the trip from all the potholes and just lying here. In fact, I feel great. Did you guys remove my left leg while I wasn't looking? Did you replace it with the left leg that I had when I was 12? Because I could hop back to Connecticut on my left leg right now, just cancel the flight. She laughed. She said, no. What I was feeling would be the morphine they gave me so they could twist me around and take the x-rays they needed. And I said, please never, ever give me any more of that ever again. Thank you. My judo flashback, as it turned out, had done the job. I had broken nothing. The ER doctor complimented me on my fall, and he said I probably had six or eight different sprains on my left side. It would hurt, but it would keep getting better and I'd be able to make my flight home the day after next. He was completely right, although I now found uh, 25 years later that it's beginning to hurt like I just fell off the cliff. Anyway, I went back to the hotel. I ate well. I slept well. I managed to walk around with the help of a cane, and I went back for day two of the commercial shoot. This one is in a mansion in Pasadena, a room teeming full of unas lying on the floor, They're photographed through chandeliers. They're lazy, rich kids who also need to be told to eat something. I arrived and walked into applause from the crew, and I delivered a well-rehearsed line. And now for my next trick, which is when the director, John, came over and apologized, and he said he thought this entry into shot for me would be way easier. What I had to do was lie on the floor, then sit up and deliver the line, eat something. If you can sit up, he said, that is. If, if you can't, we, we can do something else. Can you sit up? And I thought about it, and I rubbed my lower back, and I said, based on the day so far, yeah, I could, but probably only six or seven times. And, and I, I said, while I, I can sit up, it's clear to me one of those bad sprains was in the muscles somewhere of my lower back, and if I try to lay back down, I lose control. I'll just crash back to the floor. That actually happened getting out of bed this morning. 
So after each take, the same two guys who had walked me up the stairs after I fell at the beach gently held my arms and shoulders and lowered me back to lying on the floor. We got what we needed. I went back to the hotel. I had dinner with some friends. The next day I was a little sore, but perfectly fine to get back on the plane east. And sure enough, only time ever I had a west to east tailwind. The flight from LAX to Newark took three hours and 48 minutes. We traversed the country like a dart shot from a gun or an Olbermann falling from a rock outcropping. Oh, by the way, the commercial was an immediate success, unlike any that Boston Market had ever done before. In those days, they were packed each night for dinner at every location, selling half chickens and full meals with potatoes and salads, and they were getting an average of $12 out of every customer. The rest of the day, the place was empty. The idea behind my commercials, they were designed to bring in a lunch crowd, a sandwich and a soda and a bag of chips for $4. Soon they were swamped at lunchtime. Boston Market ordered three more commercials, these to be shot in a studio in New York. They offered me 50 grand a day. An entire new career vista was opening in front of me. I was, for a week or two in early 1997, the most successful male commercial actor in the country. We shot those three spots. I interrupted a grunge concert to shout, eat something at the band, and then I got carried off by the crowd in a mosh pit, and I interrupted a Romeo soap opera surgeon coming on to his nurse by rising from the operating table to shout, eat something, and then we did something with ball players at the stadium on Randall's Island, and I remember nothing of that because unlike the first two, they never edited the film because that's when it happened. Their equivalent of falling off the cliff I will confess it had not occurred to me. Then again, I did not own Boston Market. I did not work for their marketing department. I did not run the ad agency they employed. But none of them anticipated it either. After the first few weeks of giddy glee about the lunch crowds, I had brought them. Somebody noticed something unfortunate and unexpected. Basically, for every $4 lunch they were now selling, they were selling one fewer $12 dinner. They had not gained any new customers. They had just managed to get their customers to each spend $8 less. These very well-made, very memorable commercials worked very, very well. And the problem with that was each time they did work, it cost Boston Market $8. By the end of 1997, Boston Market was something like $900 million in debt. It had filed for bankruptcy and it had been taken over by McDonald's. On the other hand, I got my money, and in the 25 years plus since, Boston Market has not once used a celebrity endorser to try to sell their food. Oh, and there was one other positive outcome from my header off that cliff that December so many Decembers ago. The ad agency actually received the award. I did not, so I can't quote the title of it for you. I don't know which group gave it to us. But the Eat Something campaign, it actually won an award. Because apparently my shouting, Eat Something, at Una and the others, that somehow cut through to some victims of some eating disorders. What I was told was, we got an award from a National Bulimia Association. (laughs) 
I've done all the damage I can do here. Thank you for listening. Countdown has come to you from the Vin Scully Studios at the Olderman Broadcasting Empire in New York. Do me a favor, if you would. Send this podcast to somebody who does not listen to it, who you think should. Just one person. The growth to be accomplished by conventional promotion may have hit its limits. So we have to get creative here, and by we, I mean you. Countdown musical directors Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel arranged, produced, and performed most of our music. By our, I mean mine. Mr. Chanel handled orchestration and keyboards. Mr. Ray was on the guitars, bass, and drums, and it was produced by TKO Brothers. Other music, including some other Beethoven compositions, arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. The sports music, courtesy of ESPN Inc., written by Mitch Warren Davis, called the Olderman theme from ESPN 2. Our satirical and pithy musical comments are by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend Larry David, and everything else was pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, the 1,072nd day since Dementia J. Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Use the Insurrection Act against him and them while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. Bulletins as the news warrants. Till then, I'm Keith Olderman. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Here comes Bazin. He's got suspicious scratch with the D. Oh, oh, what are you doing? He's shooting the room, Daddy. Oh, look at that. Look at this. Look at that. Countdown with Keith Olderman is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.